Cinema Spectator, a movie podcast, is produced because of listeners like you. If you want to support our show, you can share it, give us a rating on iTunes, and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash ecfsproductions, where you can throw a couple dollars our way and get access to our exclusive content. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. Welcome to Cinema Spectator, a show where an expert and a casual movie fan watch movies in the cinematic canon. Today's film is new, and we're reviewing a film. Um, so it's not really, you know, we're not really watching movies in the cinematic canon. We're just talking about new films because, you know, because the hype. Uh, but today we're reviewing Oppenheimer, directed by Christopher Nolan, uh, starring Killian Murphy and Matt Damon, and a bunch of other people. Literally the most insane cast maybe ever in a movie. I don't know. Um, but I'm joined with both Isaac and Juzo today. Isaac, how are you doing? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I mean, I would say this film probably will go down into the cinematic canon um, as, the, as, you know, just hopefully not one of the last major Hollywood <laughs> send-offs before the entire industry changes. You know, who knows? But... Um, no, I, I'm doing well. I'm, I have to apologize. I'm starting to get a little under the weather uh, today. And so if my, my train of thought doesn't make sense, well, I'm glad I'm joined by two experts, you know, to cover <laughs> to cover my uneducated butt, you know. Quote, but, unquote, experts. Yeah. yeah. Juzo, how <laughs> yeah, are really. you doing? I'm doing okay. I, I mean, uh, I don't know. My, my feelings, honestly, are, are mostly connected to this movie and how I feel about it because, um, I mean... God, this is this is a big part of my year. This is really the, the most anticipated movie of the year for me, and uh, I'm mm. definitely wrestling with it. I have to say, I I do feel very good, at least from seeing the um, the turnout at the Grand Lake on Saturday. Sure. I, I really have. I didn't. I can't even remember a time in my lifetime where it's been that crazy. Maybe not even the Star Wars like sequels, where it just lines around the block and then during an afternoon show, it was just unbelievable. What's what's going on with the Oppenheimer and Barbie thing that's going on here? So yeah, me and Juzo saw it together. To uh, we saw it together on Saturday at noon. So it was a matinee showing. It was like you know afternoon, um, and and yeah, it was it was actually shocking how many people were in the theater. It was pretty packed. Um, we had to wait outside before we got let in, you know, it, it was like, yeah, they had a, it was a, a serious movie. Yeah. Um, and, and it looked like, you know, we, you could tell who the like Barbie crowd and who the Oppenheimer crowd was, uh, you know, cause everybody was kind of dressed, uh, dressed <laughs> for, for the, the occasion. For the yeah. occasion. Um, so, you know, it was interesting and, and I will say, you know, before we get into the actual movie situation, you know, Isaac, I, I know you said, uh, um, you know, hopefully it's not one of the last, uh, you know, f- film send-offs and, and blah, blah, blah. Um, I don't know. I'm feeling really hopeful because this was, like, apparently the fourth biggest weekend in the history of film. So um, that is m- potentially a good sign. I know I was kind of depressed last week, but um, I don't know. I, I think... I think there's a lot of good, um, good spirit about both of these movies, just in terms of being, you know, sort of culturally iconic, having this, you know, you know, genuinely 
uh, grassroots kind of feel in the marketing. I don't know if that, I don't know if it was intentional, if it was like a plant or if something happened, but it really does feel like both of these movies spawned out of this uh, sentiment of wanting to go see this like, you know, big picture and big, uh, you know, wanting to, to, to have this experience of dressing up or going to a 70 millimeter film or, you know, there's, there's something in the air that like people want to watch movies in a certain way though, to be fair, um, Indiana Jones, mission impossible, uh, a bunch of these other movies did terribly this year. So I don't know if everybody was holding out for this weekend or if it was just a, a sort of luck of the draw thing, or if it really was the, you know, viral, uh, virality of the campaign, you know, on, on the internet of the Barbenheimer campaign. I, I don't know I, what I, what it was, but you know, it really seems like people are showing up for these two movies. So it certainly seems like it's part of it because it's it kind of it almost feels like this sort of throwback thing to when like like in the old days people like would put on a suit to go to the movies. You'd like you go out yeah. like it's like going to the opera. And it's like a joke version of that, but in a way, I think it's like the joke has almost become sincere, and people actually are kind of enjoying the aspect of like dressing up and making not just like oh we're going to the movies whatever like it's a it's an event it's like a big thing and in in the case of if you're seeing both movies which by the way I think is just insane to be watching both of those <laughs> movies in the same day it's like five hours um, you know it's it's a it's an all day you know affair you 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 put you plan out for yourself so um i don't know even if it's just a joke i think honestly weirdly the the biggest comparison to this is the minions rise of Gru thing which i think happened last year where <laughs> there's this tiktok trend where everyone yeah. uh, went to minions wearing a tuxedo um and you know again it's <laughs> like it, about it, it, it it was a huge success because of just this kind of silly uh, what started as just a joke um so it it may be sort of a lightning in the bottle sort of thing. I n- really know how you can recapture this, and certainly with movies being um, delayed because of the strike and studios' obstinance, um, I just think it's I don't know. I I I'm 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 not ready to call it a victory for the rest of the year because I remember last year I had that feeling with Maverick. Also, Maverick was like this mm-hmm. huge sensational. Yeah, culture defining thing and then i remember like in august we were going like what's going on here there's just nothing here um and post post maverick and nope it was just kind of it was kind of dead so uh looking at the slate for the next two months i'm not so hopeful but i don't know maybe maybe do well, maybe killers of the flower moon there'll be some turnaround later in the year at least yeah i think christmas time you know award season there should be a, at least a handful of movies that uh, maybe probably won't do this well, but you know, I'll be excited for. I mean, Killers of the Flower Moon for sure. Um, uh, hopefully, the the Killer David Fincher's new movie is going to come out too this year. I don't know, but yeah, um, Netflix movie. But hopefully, we yeah. can catch it in theaters somewhere. Yeah, um, I think we could probably go in deeper with the power of viral marketing. I mean, this is I, th- th- that's the thing is like I wouldn't have so much hope for Hollywood. I know you guys are. Uh, lovers of the craft, <laughs> but you know, suddenly everyone's a Taylor Swift fan with her latest tour, and it just seems to be a trendy thing that people want to jump on to. So, I think the good news about movies is that the barrier to entry is a fifteen dollar ticket. You know, it's yeah, pretty compared low to Taylor to get... Swift. Yeah, geez, <laughs> and yeah. Uh, and I and so I I don't know. I think 
you're probably going to see some pathetic attempts to tap into this viral marketing. Oh, I what think what's hilarious uh-huh. is the the minions thing was probably completely unintentional, and they probably had no idea what to do with themselves. Uh, and I guarantee you, the suits that saw the results probably think that minions are extremely popular, but really they were the bottom <laughs> of a joke, right? And the same yeah. thing happened with the Venom movie too, right? Morbius, like the, Morbius. or Morbius, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The the Morbius <laughs> yeah, failed. They they tried to, to capitalize on it, and it was a hilarious embarrassment. I just um, imagine Martin Scorsese sitting hands in his hands in his face, you know, just like I don't know how we're supposed to market this in some dumb viral. I don't know. Let's put a McDonald's shake in the commercial. You know, you're gonna see like <laughs> you're gonna see like the most horrific attempts to get people excited to get back in the theater. But um, well, I yeah, think, it's I definitely think you're right though, it, Isaac. That that you will see more of these attempts attempts at uh, a viral marketing campaign, and that's why it's it's really difficult to categorize this necessarily as like an organic success because it's hard to say that this will ever be you know ever be done again in this way and also i don't know i don't know it's weird because the the reason why oppenheimer was you know anticipated was actually because of the Nolan name and the Nolan hype in a lot of ways. So it's not it's not to say that that there's no um, there's no actual like reason behind it, uh, but the virality and that it's sort of like this this irony of pairing these you know this depressing movie three hours long you know Christopher Nolan blah 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 with the very pop bubblegum movie of Barbie. I mean, I think, I think, I think there was just you know this windfall. I don't know if there's no like I, I, there's no ingeniousness to it. It just happened, you know. It's hard to replicate that kind of quality because it's such a yeah. Uh, just the the luck of both movies. I mean, seemingly being good. I'm I'm seeing Barbie tomorrow. I can't report if it's actually good, but. Um, everyone critically seeming to like the movies, the contrast of the two of them, each movie kind of appealing on different levels in terms of directors who to different degrees, in my opinion, people really like, (laughs) and also just, uh, you know, and this, the the, uh, movie for girls, movie for boys, that kind of like humor of the situation. Mm -hmm. Um, it's it's it would be hard to kind of because I'm looking at other things where it's like there's Craven the Hunter and Killers of the Flower Moon. It's like I think there's not really much of a <laughs> there's a pretty big imbalance in terms of which one of these movies is appealing and to whom. Um, but this is it's just I don't know I I I have a feeling I think Isaac's right. It'll, there will be very embarrassing attempts to recreate this, <laughs> and I think it. It'll, in, in fact, I'm just gonna say there's probably gonna be one attempt, and it's gonna be so embarrassing they'll never do it again. Um, I don't know. But. I I think I do think that. I mean, just because I work in marketing, and whatnot, the right people mm-hmm. were there at the right time. You know, I mm-hmm. mean, if you if you go to my yeah, work and they absolutely. say, "Hey, we need to be on TikTok because you know it's popular," I look at them and say, "Well, do you even know how the platform works? You know, like would you even know how to make a successful marketing campaign on that? Yeah, you know, we'll do the same thing we do on Facebook." I'm like, "No, nope, <laughs> you can't do that. You know, you can't. It's not right. even close to the same thing. You know." So I, I don't know. I mean, I think that there's going to be some, there's, I, I, I don't know. I, I think the seeing some crazy marketing efforts, um, you know, big risk, big reward. It's, it's exciting stuff. And I think, um, the, this duo of movies in the theater, I mean, my theater was packed. It was nuts. Yeah. Uh, and, really? and 
I couldn't even get close to a, like a decent seat. I ended up sitting in the far back left corner of the theater. <laughs> um, and this is funny because I asked Cameron to go with me and it was last minute. But I really needed to see the movie for the podcast. So I ended up, this is the first movie I've watched alone. So I was alone in the back corner uh, while the rest of the theater was completely full. You know, it was just awesome. me, an awesome. empty seat next to me. <laughs> and I'm just sitting back there trying to take in the film. Uh, and That's so the it, way was, you do it was it, definitely, man. it was a unique experience. I'm glad I had such an interesting experience uh, to, to see this film. And Cameron, I think, you know, it's time. We we got This is a long one to digest. So, well, I do want to say one thing. One thing before uh, we cap off this, you know, topic about about the marketing of it and you know the, the sort of hype around it. I will say all credit to Christopher Nolan because he has genuinely embraced the younger um, sort of TikTok audience that has become excited about this. Uh, spectacle of a movie and it's really weird because um he's someone who i always thought of as being very uh poised and like a little bit media shy um in some ways like he didn't he he didn't do a ton of interviews in the past he was never like super open with his process i mean he would have the features on on all of his dvds and the blu-rays and whatnot but you know for the most part he was just very reserved in terms of uh, the way that he approached, um, you know, the the marketing behind his movies. Um, but for this movie, I mean, I've seen him in the weirdest places. He's like on TikTok with like, uh, yeah, with teaching like people create... how seven millimeter works. It's, yeah, it's that was shocking. Great. <laughs> He's Hilarious talking about like, uh, 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 what was that? Um, what was that? Why did the wires? Oh yeah, a uh, Roderick rule, uh, Roderick Diary of a Wimpy rules. Kid. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. talking about Diary of a Wimpy Kid, and it's like he's. It's just it's it it's a little bit refreshing yeah. though. I'm I'm some somewhat scared, but you know it's it's interesting to see him kind of step out of his like you know of his of his box a little bit and be be more like personable. And I and it's fun because like. Tarantino is someone who I think of as like being very open and and like doing podcasts and like going on weird random shows and you'll like see him everywhere. And Nolan is totally not that that person. But with this campaign, I was just so shocked to see him like everywhere. <laughs> so like no, he's really you know it was it was really interesting. I mean, for for how many uh, famous faces are in the movie it really is him who is the famous person bringing people in i mean like he is one yeah. of the few household name directors who people he can sit next to robert downey jr to do a wired autocomplete interview which by the way is like one of my favorite nolan things i've ever i've never seen him laugh that much <laughs> it was amazing <laughs> but he's like on equal standing with downey like people know each of them and, and in fact they're kind of the the respective pillars of uh, Marvel and DC in some ways. Um, so it's, it's, it's been, I've been enjoying it completely. And seeing Nolan on TikTok is, or Nolan on the view with all the ladies on the view, that, <laughs> that image was so funny to me. Um, uh, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. And uh, I mean, probably he 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 still i think remains a luddite i don't know if he does he own a computer he definitely doesn't own a cell phone um so <laughs> all this stuff must be pretty new to him but uh he's he's, he's will, certainly I, rolling with it i will say I, and i know that this is going to be sacrilegious to you guys but the future of 
you know, the modern filmmaker is probably being planted in the creativity of TikTok. TikTok is and and the app. I've seen some of the most incredible editing and like fast-paced visual storytelling on that app that I I I was I'm genuinely shocked by it quite often. I don't know um, if you remember this, Isaac, but I literally said this same point uh, like five years ago on our old podcast in like the no, third episode or something. I don't remember that at all. <laughs> it was like TikTok was brand new. And I was like, oh, yeah, TikTok is going to be basically like how uh, it's like training people's brains into like being like mini filmmakers, basically. That's 100 percent. 100 percent. Their MO is all creativity, even though they're, you know. Uh, semi-controlled by the CCP, I think they're, you know, they're, um, they're, they're, they're massive, you know, create, like, it's so weird that, uh, the company is so fixated on sort of like this entrepreneurial creativity that is like inherent to filmmaking. And, um, I don't know. I just, I think it's kind of interesting to see the worlds collide. And we always talk about how there's not enough young directors. They're all getting older and older. You never know, right? There, there could be a future there on that platform to start harvesting the next creative minds but that's enough of a side rant cameron i think it's time to talk I'll, about the movie. i'll believe it when i see it anyway <laughs> i, I, I agree all yeah right. <laughs> all right you old bloods let's do it yeah um so oppenheimer uh kind of one of the most talked about movies of the year obviously um which is why we're talking about it um gotta get that clout you know um well we're but, also doing uh, nolan month it's not completely cynical <laughs> Well, I mean, we did Nolan month because Oppenheimer was coming out. Let's, let's, you know. But like Nolan <laughs> there deserved was... a month. He's the goat. I mean, like, come on. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think in some ways, um, this is a huge departure from what we've seen of Nolan. Um, but it also has very, you know, subtle touches to the rest of his filmography. And that was one of the things that I was most surprised at, about was, Nolan has never done a biopic, never done... I mean, he's done, you know, Dunkirk, which is the histor- more historical of his movies. Um, but really, even that movie is is very much an action movie, very much one that that plays with time and plays with the way that, that he sees the world. Um, but all of his other movies have been, you know, either straight thrillers, action movies, you know, very accessible in terms of the genre and in terms of the, the theme... Um, but you know, it has this element of being very, um, high concept, you know, so he, he brings, he brings a certain, um, artistry to a more base genre. Um, and in this movie, it's totally the opposite of that. He, he is taking something that's very, um, what most people might consider boring, uh, you know, a, a, a movie about a man, uh, who is basically being denied security clearance for, you know, for <laughs> yeah, his job actually. position. Yeah. Um, and he's turning it into this, you know, huge sprawling epic, you know, going through, through uh, massive historical events, uh, making some of the most thrilling sequences, um, you know, that he's ever done in his career, uh, but on such a unique scale for his for his, uh, you know, filmography. Um, and I, I, I guess we could open the discussion just in general about how you think he's done. Um, be, you know, all three of us, I think, would consider ourselves Nolan fans. 
Um, all three of us really love a lot of his movies, um, but this is so different. Um, how do you think, you know, how do you think he did this time around? Um, who's, who's taking it? <laughs> yeah, who's taking it? I, 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 I should probably start. Because I'm sure that Juzo has many thoughts. You've already seen it twice, right, Juzo? Yeah, yes. Okay. So I'll start with my layman uh, mind. First film that I've sat down and watched alone, and it was definitely a roller coaster of emotions for me because I am a big fan of Christopher Nolan, um, and I've been conflicted with his movies in the past and had a difficult um, interpretation of them because... When I was younger and watching his movies, there was this sense of me trying to grasp and understand what was going on in the film. Uh, and then the older I got, the more I realized that I enjoyed Christopher Nolan movies when they just sort of wash over you. You don't really overthink them. You know, you kind of just take them at face value and and sort of like marinate on them. So watching this movie, I, I I was well aware. I mean, we just explored a bunch of his his movies on the podcast, and I'm like, okay, I can't really like sit there and overthink this movie. I'm just gonna try to feel it. And for about the first thirty minutes, it absolutely was awesome to just kind of sit there and vibe out with the film. Um, and then you try to start to understand, okay, like what exactly is going on? You know, like I'm understanding that there are these black and white scenes, you know, there's kind of different timelines. He's doing the, uh, the Nolan thing and I'm, I'm sitting back, I'm trying to sort of take in what's going on. And I found myself increasingly becoming, um, just strained to understand what was going on or what people were saying. Maybe it was my seat. I know that, uh, Christopher Nolan likes to have sort of the mumbling punchline that like, like somebody will mumble something and then the score will go like, you know, and you're like, okay, <laughs> like I was still trying to put together what that last scene was about, you know? Um, and so I felt like this movie had, uh, moments that it would hook me into emotional feelings. Uh, and I would just be like floored, like actually amazed by what I was seeing. There was a moment in this movie where I was almost brought to tears, which I couldn't believe, uh, and then there are other parts of the movie where I felt extremely alienated by the movie uh, mm. that I was like, I, d this is like so highfalutin, like it's just kind of, it, it feels like robotic or like alien in some scenarios. And so I felt myself very conflicted in this viewing. Um, when I walked out of the theater, I talked to my brother afterwards. He had seen it a few days before he was like, wasn't that awesome? I was like, I don't even know if I really liked it that much. Um, I'm having a hard time trying to like fully come together with it, right? Uh, and then, you know, after a long conversation with him, sort of sitting back, I was like, maybe this film uh, will have a similar Dunkirk uh, like energy that I had the first time I watched that movie. Um, but then when I started to try to interpret like what the movie was trying to say... I realized that where there were other movies that have tackled some of the similar themes in a way that had like this warm human element, like this humanity to them. And this movie, I didn't quite get the, like the warm feeling. This film is pretty depressing. Like it's like really, it's a real downer all the way up until the end. You know, um, there's nothing wrong with that. For I just, sure. I, I found myself 
that I think that's probably the best way I can put it is I, I'm I, I'm a little conflicted on it. Uh, mm. That that is where I sit with it at the moment. So, Juzo, Juzo. Um. Okay. Let's see. I mean, the it's it's hard to fault a movie that is so virtuosic, uh, beautiful looking, incredible sounding. Uh, we saw it in seventy millimeter. It was just gorgeous. Um, and there's so many aspects of it that are that are great. Uh, in terms of also the performances, I think Killian Murphy might be giving like the best performance in a Nolan movie, maybe second only to Heath Ledger. Um, just mm. un- unbelievable. And then like a deep, deep bench of great uh, supporting performances um, from the quite sizable cast. Um, so it it feels and again it's I, I I say this with some trepidation because I've there's been a number of movies I've seen especially in recent years where uh, I've been highly looking forward to them and there's some one of my favorite directors and um, it's almost like my expectations are too high and that's definitely why I like had to see it a second time before I was gonna talk about it on a podcast because a lot of times it's just like I'm I'm too amped up. It's too much. Kind of uh, my hopes for it are, are are too elevated. But I have to say that it's probably it may be the least I've enjoyed a Nolan movie, like of any of his movies, which is in some ways appropriate because it's a much you know it's not Batman driving a giant car. It's not you know uh, Tenet doing a temporal pincer movement. It's 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 none of the the normal kind of frivolities of a Nolan movie it's it's about the most you know despairing subject matter or some of the most despairing subject matter you can make a film about um but at the same time I also just felt like what what some have described as the virtuosity of the movie and the kind of um intensity of it um for me I I I feel just a little bit mixed about in terms of it um, in terms of if its effectiveness um, covering the amount of ground he's trying to cover and covering the amount of different characters and relationships, and it almost feels like maybe, and of course yeah, Nolan would break down my door and like hit me with his rotary phone if he heard me saying this, but it, like it maybe it should have been a TV series or something like that. It, that it kind of feels like it almost should have been longer. Um, to develop all these things because I just feel like there's a lot of the movie that that is kind of feels like skimming along the surface of a lot of the especially just the relationships of the movie Um, and there are great scenes and there are great moments within it and with all the characters but it just feels it it felt a little bit like a trailer watching it in in parts just in terms of the speed with which it's moving and the uh, lack of kind of a I think most of the best historical movies, you, you can't encapsulate everything about a person's history, even if it's a miniseries, frankly. And so you have to reduce it down to, like if it's Darkest Hour, you're reducing it down to Churchill at the brink of like, are we going to do pe- make peace talks with Hitler, basically? Like he just, he focuses on a very specific piece of history. Or in the case of The Social Network, it's, a f- it's the friend relationship he focuses on. Um, and this movie, it feels like he might have bit off a little bit more than he can chew. But having said all this, it sounds like I'm negative. It only sounds negative just by virtue of my 
me going to a, a Nolan movie, if it's anything less than excellent, it's a disappointment for me personally. If this was just a movie by anyone, I'd be like, this is very, very good. Quite an impressive movie. And it's only by comparison to his back catalog that I feel a little bit disappointed. But there's no denying it is good. It's not like I'm... I'm not saying this is a mid-movie. It just seems like a little bit... He, he, like he's over overstretched himself just a little bit. Um, but yeah, Cameron, what, what about you? Hmm. Well, I kind of disagree with you both. I mean, I think... Um, I don't know. It could be... Not to say that I am necessarily biased in terms of... Uh, um, like, in a lot of ways, this is a, a movie that I would like to see from from a director like Nolan. You know, I've always said, like... I kind of want Tarantino to make just like a straight, uh, you know, historical movie or like some something something simple for his, um, for like the talent that he has. And in this movie, um, he's tackling something that's very obviously very um, deep and and going very in depth with uh, with Oppenheimer as a character um, and all of his relationships. And he is. Um, stretching over a long period of time, um, but I also think in in some ways, like he's he's kind of the perfect director to make a movie like this. Um, and I I would way rather see him experiment with a biopic and sort of a small. In in some ways, this is a very like intimate movie. Um, I want him to to explore that that side of his directing. Um, more than I would want him to uh, make another movie like Tenet. And I know, I'm sure you <laughs> will... How dare you, Cameron? How dare you? ...shaking his head. Um, but but it's true. I mean, in some ways, I, I want him... Um, like, this is this is the movie that... Not that I'm begging him to make, but in, in some ways, this is, like, what I would feel um, more interested in going to see than... Uh, than like Tenet two or something something like that. You know what I mean? Like there is mm-hmm. something very um uh I I I like how small scale uh, this movie actually is in its like in its operation. The fact that it's about a you know kind of a minor uh cabinet appointment and there's like these interpersonal details about you know Robert Downey Jr's character and this like um this sort of political back and forth like i like i like that uh i like that nolan is kind of delving into this um very you know minute kind of details um i think it's just i for me it's fun i don't know I mean, I could see how someone else would <laughs> would be bored by it, but but in some ways, I just I that's the kind of movie that I'd I'd rather watch. You know, this reminds me of like um, all the President's Men or something. You know, there's like something very hmm. small scale about move. You know, these movies that are about this particular time and place uh, and exploring you know one person or exploring a. Uh, a subject matter even like even something like zodiac which actually um you know crosses a long sort of span of time and it's very like 
uh, subdued. It doesn't have a lot of like intrigue or action. Like I think Zodiac and this movie kind of are on a similar wavelength, uh, if that makes sense. And I think I think this this has this very like the expectation of is is there of like oh yeah it's about the bomb and it's about you know making it. but really it's it's kind of a a movie about this man being you know swayed in certain ways by by all the people around him um mm-hmm. and there's just something very uh unique about that in Nolan's catalog and also i will say um with all of the movies that we've watched uh and all of the movies that I've seen from him that I'm thinking about, um, even like all of the Batman movies um, are not really about Batman in in a lot of ways. This movie is is very deeply about Oppenheimer, you know. And I I think the only other movie that's like an actual character study of of Nolan's is Insomnia, which is kind of weird, isn't it? I mean, he's you know. He has all of these very interesting characters going on, but but uh, most of the movie is very much about most of his movies are, are are about like the scenario and about the the timing and about you know all of these other factors around these characters. This movie and I think Insomnia are just very straightly about their main characters. Um, so I, I I kind of find that that to be a an interesting. Uh, element of this movie and and i would say i don't know for my question that i asked was does does nolan do a good job in terms of the you know the straightforward biopic um and i think i would say like 80 20 he does for me uh because all of the scenes that are amazing and that like knock it out of the park are like so above and beyond like almost all of the movie, like the biopics that I've seen in the past, like 20 years. Um, but there are, I do have some complaints and we can go into that a little bit later, but, um, I don't know that I, I, I genuinely loved the movie. So I, you know, Mm -hmm. you guys sound more down on it, but (laughs) yeah, I mean, I, I, I want to, I want to go out of my way and say like, I don't usually like biopics very much at all. Um, and and uh, you guys know before we went to go see this, I was like, I have no doubt this movie <laughs> is going to be boring. Like, like there's just no way this is this just seems like a boring thing. I don't know the history. I love history, but still, you know, like I just it's like me watching the Titanic, right? I'm like, which I ended up liking, but when I watch the Titanic, it's like, well, I know where it's going. I know what it's going to do, you know. Um, and so I I just want to clarify, Cameron, I don't think this movie's boring actually at all. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I think I totally agree. Some of the things that I struggled with the most with the, it, it is sort of related to the genre of biopics where so often I feel like there, there's like a relatability that's missing for me with some of these characters. And that's why I'm like, I, it feels like there's like a missing human element um, mm-hmm. in this film where they're all these like larger than life, uh, people that are so important doing these important things. And it's like, I just want to like, I want to feel like some humanity like in them mm-hmm. and things like that. And, and I know that some people would say, well, well, like, like my brother was t- talking to me and he's like, there's such 
3D characters. And I do agree that it's like their their characters expand on layers on layers as the movie goes on and on. And it's amazing how they begin to like uh, kind of bloom into these very complex people towards the end. I mean, Emily Blunt's character like only gets more and more complex when she's like starts it, it, the, in the beginning of the movie. She's just in the background, right? And how much more she means to you as an audience member towards the end. But still, I felt like Pretty an true. arm's length away from like everyone in this movie. Uh, and, and I had a hard time with like any sort of relation or self-reflection. And I think the biopics that really resounded with me had me questioning my own internal like self, you know, the movie that I thought about that you mentioned Juzo was the social network, which pounded me in the gut, uh, on this crazy emotional level. It's probably one of my favorite movies I've ever seen. And, what was weird is when this movie ended, I was like, yeah, like this wasn't the social network. It doesn't have to be right. But, mm-hmm. um, for me, I'm like, look at how, uh, like the thing I kept thinking about, was like that movie did something so much better than what this movie did. Um, although there are things that are incredibly great about this movie, you know, the acting and the way that it's constructed, how it's kind of like this, this great Nolan thing. And, um, I think where I, where I'm just where I'm falling more negative on it is that again it goes back to what I was saying about how I usually consume Nolan movies. My favorite way to do them now is just kind of let them like sort of wash over me, you know. Like I'm like I will, I'll sit there and I'll just kind of experience it, right? And this movie, I felt like I couldn't do that. I had to like engage with it a lot more and try to track and follow. Could be a one time viewing thing, you know. Maybe that 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 is a factor. Um, and when I, it was like, when I sat back, I wasn't allowed to. And when I leaned forward, I felt like I couldn't get like that, like some, some kind of like feeling like getting hit in the feels that I usually get with Nolan movies when I just kind of sit back. Does that make sense? Is that sort of like, no, it does. It does. It's part of the genre. I think it's funny. The social network thing is a funny comparison because it really is it's a lot of a similar movie in terms of how it's structured in terms of jumping through time, using these kind of hearings as a jumping off springboard mm-hmm. and also a, a kind of a, a fraught dynamic between two characters. And in, in the case of Strauss and Oppenheimer, though, I think if you compare the two, a much weaker one, because I just don't, I just don't also find that relationship to be that interesting or compelling in, in terms of the movie. And Strauss as a character, I mean, Downey is, fantastic in the movie but it just doesn't he, he doesn't really have much of a history with Oppenheimer and it all ends up being kind of just for like he's uh, he's against him for pretty petty reasons um, not it's not the huge kind of Shakespearean uh, tragedy of Eduardo and uh, Zuckerberg in, in uh, the social network and I yeah, think just, the emotional just to jump on that about, really, oh, go ahead. yeah yeah go ahead just because Strauss as a character, yeah, he's acted super well. But they introduced these other scientists early on in the movie that I could have swore were going to come back around as, like, important characters or, like, backstabbing moments in this race. And Strauss is introduced, and it's like he's... I, I don't know. Like, I was like, this guy... Like, who is this guy? Like, I, 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 the whole movie, I was like, I don't even know who he is. Like, I felt like towards mm-hmm. the end, I was starting to understand, okay, so he's some politician, you know, like whatever I, I don't know like it was it was it was a strange kind of like oh he's the villain now or something right and i'm like yeah yeah uh, I mean, and actually all those black and white scenes 
are entirely from his point of view, which I kind of only understood the second time I saw it. Um, and and this also connects to another, probably the other of my favorite biopics being The Social Network and then the second one being Amadeus. It's definitely going for an Amadeus thing because Amadeus is told, the story of Mozart told through his jealous enemy who is trying to undermine him. And Salieri and Amadeus is very much like that Strauss figure but again, I think it's it's not. They're much more connected. Amadeus, um, Mozart, and Salieri are good friends and collaborators. And he's there's a lot more manipulation going on. I think it it just it connects a lot, a lot more. And I think, yeah, the lack of emotion that Isaac is talking about. I mean, I, I don't know if I would say I, I was completely unmoved by the movie or not emotionally connected at all but it, it falls into some of that it was reminding me of some of the aspects i don't like about like more generic like vice or imitation game or like these other biopics that are far less beautifully crafted but they are also musical biopics have this called bohemian rhapsody where you're jumping mm-hmm. through kind of the famous aspects of the character and you you kind of have to just kind of um it's not like it's not like Oppenheimer's life story is like hitting all the famous songs of Queen or whatever, but it kind of sometimes feels like they're like we have to check mark all these different things, all these different aspects of his life. And as much as people who I think that the the historical accuracy of the, this movie is is definitely one of its positive most uh, positive attributes like from what I've heard it's it's quite accurate to the facts. But I think sometimes for a better movie, I mean, well, the other thing that's very key about Amadeus and the Social Network—they're complete BS. They're completely not true to the facts at all, and I think that's part of why they're so great. And I was also thinking about how the movie tries to weave in aspects of his personal life and professional life and all this sort of thing. And I think it's interesting. I'm not—I'm not saying that the personal life aspects of the movie are a failure but again it, it made another movie come to mind coincidentally with matt damon uh ford v ferrari where i remember in that movie um the character damon plays is completely unconnected like you don't know anything about his personal life and then you look him up later he was married five times like his personal life was a complete disaster but it was like they sort of were like well this movie is about is not about that so we just need to like silo off the important relationships and the important dynamics and not, not these other things. Um, though on the, I mean, I don't want to completely discount that aspect of Oppenheimer because I do think the personal and the professional are interwoven in a way that's not completely ir- irrelevant. Not to mention just the fact of him kind of like sowing disrepair in the world and also within his own personal life. Um, but we, I mean, we can get to that when we get into more specifics. Um, but I think that's part of my issue for the movie issue with the movie. Well, I will, I will say, um, I mean, to your, to both of your guys' point, um, it's not quite as airtight of a, you know, hero villain dynamic as, you know, or not even hero villain, but just like our protagonist, our, our perspective character, um, uh, you know, being both Oppenheimer and, um, and Strauss, I think, uh, there's something, there's something very minor about Strauss's character that doesn't feel, um, like by the, I don't know, 
in the middle of the movie, you kind of start to to ask like, what, so what is Straws doing? Like, what is what is his perspective here? And like, you know, why is there this this character? But in terms of of the actual filmmaking and the dynamics of of you know of the Straws character, him having this sort of retelling role, and then it coming back later on um, for you know, some of these kind of important moments, um, I think does work structurally. And I think, I think works for me, even if it's not the most, um, sort of airtight villain story, I guess. Um, I think in terms of great, oh, go ahead. Well, I, I just think I, in terms of it being, um, you know, straws, uh, as somewhat puppet master in certain things, uh, that, that are revealed, you know, towards the latter half. I, I really think it's effective in in sort of telling the story of the man of Oppenheimer, um, which I think is important. N- not, you know, it's not, as you said, it's not this Shakespearean thing, but it is kind of important in terms of understanding Oppenheimer and understanding the motivations of, of these things that are going on behind the scenes, um, behind what he even knows himself. And so there's this, there's a certain undercurrent throughout the whole movie. Um, whereas I, I don't think it's necessarily this like pitting of two wills, uh, necessarily. I think it's like, there's one person who's trying to manipulate the, the atmosphere. And then Oppenheimer is kind of this, uh, not hapless, but he's he's this sort of oblivious character in some ways. Um, mm, a little bit naive. He doesn't too, have. In some ways. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's part of it, where um, it turns around on the theme of being, you know, eager to help this project, eager to invest his life into this project, and then being so so um, uh, twisted about how that ended up happening and you know having this naive point of view and then totally it being you know distorted at the end um and so i think i think even at straws as a villain um i guess minor spoilers but uh yeah even straws as a villain he's someone who who reinforces the theme of oppenheimer being this sort of naive um but uh kind of kind character in a lot of ways and then being totally undermined by a system that's that's out to get him um, mm-hmm. or, or out to use his his you know brilliance out to use his talent um, mm-hmm. and and I think I do think that's compelling in a different way not as Shakespearean maybe but in in a very in a very human way so no I think I think that's the plus side of that dynamic between them is is having him um uh downey's character kind of standing in for the pettiness and the the Mm -hmm. kind of um i think what nolan is getting at about the sort of fickle nature of how um these enormously horrifying uh levers of power are manipulated kind of just on the whims and basis of these these people who are not only human but deeply flawed and and um 
making decisions on the basis of, I mean, in Strauss's case, because Oppen, he thinks Oppenheimer was kind of mean to him once. Like that's basically why he's doing everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and you see it also in the scene with the, um, uh, where they're deciding, this is not a spoiler because we know this happened, where they're deciding where they're going to bomb Japan and where the guy makes the decision or he crosses one of the cities off the list and it's for such a personal kind of, you know, just a ridiculous reason. Um, but it's like, that's, that is the way the levers of power work. Um, and that's, that's who Oppenheimer is giving the, the like so-called gift of his, his creation. Those, these are the people he's giving it to. So in that way it works. I think, I think it just, for me, it's like dramatically, it's not as, it's not as compelling. Also just, you know, a lot of that stuff comes after the big, moments of the trinity test like the big historical moments and oppenheimer having this emotional reckoning some of that political intrigue feels a little bit anticlimactic um though i have to say some of those scenes are really well done and i don't know like downey you know and and rami malek and in the hearing i mean that's pretty great Mm -hmm. um i don't know there's good stuff all throughout this movie for sure um anyway well, I think with that, uh, should we get into spoilers, Isaac? Yeah, let's let's go full spoilers. And just because as uh, we're on the conversation of talking about like feeling the movie versus understanding, I think you know I I want to know what moment hit you guys the hardest emotionally. Um, what was kind of the scene that resonated, or one of the scenes that resonated with you that you were just like that was like worth the price of admission, like this was this this just really stuck out to me. Cameron, you wanna go? Yeah, I mean I think Judo said it, but I think the Trinity test scene is maybe one of the most um intense, dramatic, beautiful sequences that Nolan has ever filmed. I mean, I really think there's something so uh yeah, so just ingenious about uh, I've never more wanted to pull that. out my phone during a movie because we were we were smack in the middle and the whole row everything was the whole theater is full in front of us and the image of the 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 mushroom cloud on the screen in complete silence and it's just reflected on the heads and faces of everyone around was such an incredible I mean the image itself is incredible and then the in the theater image was incredible as well but anyway sorry go on Cameron no I mean even just the um the very you know you expect the bomb you expect the the explosion and the mushroom cloud and blah 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 um but even the more small shots of people's faces turning around to see like through the welder's glass and like there's just so many moments in that sequence that are, that really t- just took my breath away i think i was I don't think I was breathing that that whole you know two minutes or whatever. Like it was, it was just, it was absolutely beautiful. It's so crazy because you, kn- everyone knows what's happening. Like it's it's not right. any exactly. mystery. Yeah, what's gonna happen? But Kiana, I was looking at Kiana next to me is like cur- <laughs> curling next to Cameron, like covering her eyes as the thing. Like we know it's gonna <laughs> like it's explode, a horror movie. <laughs> but it's yeah, it's horrifying and it's thrilling, um, and it's also just. The the emotions or the, the the different waves he takes you through with from the anticipation and the is it even going to work to the 
before the sound comes in, it's almost a moment of like Spielbergian wonder when it's just the cloud and they're looking, you know, th- through their glasses mm-hmm. at it with, in yeah. astonishment. And it's only when the sound comes in so sharply and it sounds demonic. It sounds like they've like opened up like the pits of hell um, where it's, you know, that's that's the whole movie right there in terms of his. Yeah. Because his aspiration is so kind of like beautiful and he has this like, he's kind of an artist, you know, like he has this vision of, I mean, again, connecting to Spielberg, it's like Close Encounter. It's like he has this vision of what he wants to create and what he wants to do with all this kind of rattling anxiety within him. And it there it is beautiful for just a second and then it unleashes complete horror um yeah it's just incredible and then the the second scene that i think was probably overlooked by most people but i really i mean it it really gave me chills uh when i saw it um there's a moment with um oppenheimer and with his his wife kitty um where he's you know he's learned the 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 news um, that Gene, uh, I forget her last name, Gene Tatlock. Gene Tatlock. Tatlock. Um, yeah. Tatlock. Um, Florence Pugh has uh, has killed herself, um, and he f- he you know he's fallen off his horse. It's like really early in the morning. It looks like, um, and he's kind of curling himself into like uh, a rock and. And his wife basically comes up to him and is like, you can't do this. <laughs> You're, mm-hmm. y- you know, you have to, you have to pull yourself together. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that moment I thought was so um, simple and, and beautiful, but just very effective in the way that um, also, you know, the acting, I mean, both of them are on um, next level you know there's there's something about both of those those characters but i think that moment was just very um it was very startling and very touching um in turns you know it's like she's obviously upset about <laughs> finding out that he's you know that he had an affair and that you know he went to see gene and you know there's there's obviously a lot of hurt around her character um but you know, she's basically like, you can't, you can't fall apart right now. Like there's mm-hmm. you literally got the whole world on your shoulders. You have to, um, stay together. And it was just a very like intimate, but profound moment. I thought, um, I yeah, really and she that. says something like, doesn't she say you can't commit a sin and then expect people to feel sorry for you? Like there's some yeah. great line she says to him. Yeah. That exactly, it's, and it's and it's, it's it's a great just subversion of what you expect it initially to be a tender moment, and then it's like she's just ice cold, not ice cold, but she's like, pull yourself together, man. Like you have this, you know, it's a combination of his responsibility uh, professionally, but also just like how badly he's failed in their relationship. Um, yeah, she's yeah. really the ace just, in the whole of the movie. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I just thought. I thought it was such a good moment. Um, and so simple, something that I think could be glossed over. Um, but just the combination of the acting and the, um, you know, that just very 
profound moment between them. I just, I, I really loved. Um, Isaac, mm-hmm. what do you, what do you think? What's, what's your moment? Yeah, I love, I love those, those two scenes. Is it weird that it's like Emily Blunt is the character I relate with the most? You know, just being drunk and throwing bottles at politicians and <laughs> famous people. You know. Uh, no, yeah. I mean, I, I think in some ways she she is a, an extremely sympathetic character, even though like she's kind of, um, you know, even early on she's very she's uh, licentious in some ways. But uh, I think I think towards the end of the movie, especially, she just becomes this very um, very sympathetic character. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, so the Trinity test scene, just to kind of talk about that there that scene I, I i don't know how i felt about it because i love the decision to have silence but i didn't like the decision to have three explosions i kind of just wanted one big boom and maybe it was also my seat in the theater but i wanted it to be way louder and way more rumbly because i don't know in my theater it was like not like bassy enough and so I don't know. I was just like, I want it to punch, you know. And then instead, it was like three small punches, you know. <laughs> so I think it was just it my punched seat. us. Yeah, okay. it punched us. It was us. pretty big know. to me. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that was probably just the one thing. But I love the aftermath of the Trinity uh, scenes much, much more than the bomb mm. scene itself. Actually, I thought the speech scene was one of the greatest moments in the movie. Phenomenal. Um, I, when he, I agree. When he, when he steps down in the body, I, I I like gasped out loud. I was like, "This is this is like probably some of the best filmmaking." To the moment where he walks outside, and the guy has that like booger and snot hanging out of his like the guy that like just threw He's up vomiting, outside. Yeah. I was like, "Man, this is this is unforgettable. This is an unforgettable moment in the film." And even him panically running around after Matt Damon says, "Yeah, we'll." keep you informed you know and he runs off right like the them try he's like trying to listen to the bomb and i had a moment when i was watching the film where i was like i really could have just used like the whole experience of the camp and then building the thing and dropping it and the and the panic and like you know kind of it just ending with like the bomb dropped you know and like i could have like had this movie be 90 minutes and just cut down to that that whole experience of him being roped into this experience, dealing with the family drama and then the trauma of the bomb and the guilt and then just cutting it. And then instead it goes into the political stuff. But I do agree that the the Trinity stuff, um, there's a part of me that hungered for that to be more um, like concrete to what the movie like is, but it is much more than that. It is much larger than that. Um, which is weird to say, right? Um, the moment in the film that got me the most emotional makes me feel like the stupidest cinephile ever. Uh, and it is, um, scored to the track that I shared in the group text called, uh, can you Uh, hear the music? Right. Yes. And it has to do with how, um, Oppenheimer is having a hard time in school because he doesn't quite fully understand, uh, or he's he's having he's having a hard time with like some of the math or or the the technicalities of the job and and um, one of the one of the mentors or professors there says like, you know, 
you can know how you can know how to read music and explain it, but like, can you hear it? You know, and then it cuts can you to feel this, it? yeah, or the, can you no. feel it? It cuts to this insanely beautiful montage of him consuming like culture, art, and and it it's it's basically like right. splicing with all of this footage that is invoking the feelings of like inspiration, basically, right? Uh, and I was just overwhelmed. I was definitely overwhelmed with emotion in the theater. Like I was like choking. I was like, wow, like I can't even believe what I'm watching. You know, like this is incredible. You know, uh, the score is like ramping up at the time. I thought it was Hans Zimmer, but it's, it's Ludwig, um, Ludwig Göransson. Yeah. Yeah. Who did 10. And, and he's very good. He is very, very good. Um, credible track. It's the second track on the album. If you want to listen to it. Um, but yeah, I was so moved by that scene that the rest of the movie didn't hit as hard for me also, which was kind of weird. I, oh, I Go know, ahead, I Jesus. know. I felt yeah. no, I felt the same um I mean, not that again, it's like I there's plenty of stuff in the movie that's great and actually you guys amazingly you haven't mentioned one of the scenes I was going to talk about, but that did set a pretty high watermark because I it made me think the movie was going to be a little bit more at least to, for me it it was very clear he was evoking the Terrence Malick style of filmmaking, like that kind of mm. um, stream of consciousness editing and kind of like um, your thoughts cascading um, very much. I, Nolan has vocally been a big acolyte of Terrence Malick's films, like The Tree of Life. And those little animations he's doing, which, by the way, are amazing looking practical mm-hmm. effects somehow achieved through miniatures or microscopic photography just like incredible um it is a beautiful moment and the score is is has this great feeling of it's it's um it's classical and it goes into synth music it also speeds up as like the feeling of inspiration is sort of overtaking him um and then it's right yeah he's listening to the rite of spring he's he's listening to he's absorbing reading books and what have you and it sort of feels like the focusing of his because I think the thing that sort of feels like it's tormenting him before that is like he has these unformed ideas that are sort of haunting him and he can't sleep. I think it's like he, that's what he th- initially he says, I can't sleep, um, is why he's having trouble in school. And um, it feels like all of those kind of things um, coming together in a way. And it's, it is, it is actually, other than the moment I'm going to talk about, it is probably the most like c- close to like choking up I felt in the theater actually, and I and I did think, I don't know if the movie would have been better if it was all in that kind of rapid fire, almost surrealistic Malick style of editing, but it it certainly is a part of the movie that stands out. Yeah, I I was blown away because th- when that happened, that's when I kind of like sat back in my chair and I'm like, take me away, Nolan. I'm ready. You know, like I'm ready for this. Yeah. And then they get back to mumbling in rooms where the score is too loud. And I'm like, wait, what's going on now? <laughs> like I was just, I was enjoying all those. I thought those crazy visuals were going to keep going and, and, and that I was just going to be able to kind of just like go for the ride. Cause I totally understood the emotion at the scene, you know, like I was, I was like, I get it. Like he's inspired, you know, and mm-hmm. this is, it is incredible, you know? Um, the only other, well, I would say that the final scene has some pretty heavy emotion, but, um, the other scene that I think really stood out to me emotionally in a negative way is when he's admitting his relationship with Gene in the, in the, um, 
oh my in the God. in the yeah. hearing. <laughs> It's and so, that also that also yeah. made me gasp out loud with the amount of dread and embarrassment. I was like scarred by that scene. I was like, this has got to be one of the most traumatic. It was one of those moments where I came back from the theater and I, I talked to Juliana and I was like, I was like just scarred by this movie, like in so many different areas, you know, like and that was one of the scenes where I was just like, wow, what what a like just gut punching amount of guilt presented on screen. Yeah. And I don't think I've ever seen in a movie actually, you know, yeah. it was, yeah. it was powerful. It was very Big powerful. Time. It's so. like cutting open your wrists in front of like a, a group of people, you know, it's like so deeply like shameful. Like there's something, yeah, yeah. something about that scene where it's like, Oh man, you know? Um, and, and how, yeah, you know, obviously there's the, the graphic elements of it, but that, but also just before, you know, he, he's just like, you know, how simply he answers the question of, you know, and you spent the night with, with Gene, you know, and he's like, yes, you know, and it's, yeah it's like yeah. just, just so, so simple. And it's interesting because obviously, um, this is funny in the same way that the social network, um, I understand better because I, I like work depositions and like, that's, that's like something that's, that's like an environment that I am, am familiar with now. Um, this movie is like very, um, you know, like a third of the movie basically takes place in a, in a quote unquote deposition. It's not really, but it's based more or less a deposition. Um, and it it is very it is very interesting because um, part of the part of the tension of the movie and I don't know if this came across well, um, but part of the tension of the movie is that um, he's in this situation where if it was a normal you know court proceeding if it was anything sort of um, if it was anything you know rule of law based he would be protected by certain rights. You know, his lawyer would have the chance to, to review documents, his, you know, he would have this, this right of, of evidence, um, you know, this evidentiary uh, right of being Bur burden able to, of proof. Yeah. Yeah. Present things. And, you know, they talk about it a little bit, but I, I think, you know, for probably for a lot of people, it didn't, it probably glossed over their heads. Um, but this, you know, this sense of, um, Injustice, which is happening on a very small scale, where you know there's no burden of proof because we're not trying you, you know, we're we're just denying your your clearance, you know, um, and there's something very like small scale about that, but I I thought it was really effective in terms of how um, how these like little injustices added up in terms of of his case, and also how um, in the end. Uh, again, full spoilers, I guess. But um, in the end, you know, he has um, unanimous support that he's not a traitor, um, that he's, you know, he's a faithful citizen. Um, but a two to one uh, vote against him in terms of being a security risk. And there's this there's this little sense of being, um, you know, obviously whether or not uh, it's predetermined, you know, probably or whatever, but also the sense that one of them, one of these judges or these, you know, people who are 
determining his his security clearance has gone against the grain too you know is this mm-hmm. like little moment <laughs> of you know yeah the the game of thrones man um uh, oh really you know yeah he's the um he's the stark family uh basically like like you know healer he's he's like the religious person of the the stark family um yeah so you know there's there's this um there's this little feeling of you know being being like the game is is rigged against him um on on multiple levels but in very just small ways um and so i i i i can see why that feels like a bit unsatisfying for the general audience where there's like this this sense that it doesn't really matter you know all the important stuff has happened but i also i i like how um how small scale that that story is of him just wanting to continue his work you know trying to do what he thinks is is best for the country speaking out and then also being you know totally um you know essentially ripped off by by the government who has depended on him for uh you know this incredible achievement but then you know tossed him in the trash when they they don't need him anymore and and there's something right. um yeah i mean i i do think the um you know of course there's i don't i don't know that the story is necessarily um relatable for everybody but i do think the um i think overall it really feels um it feels unjust and i i can i can get on board with that kind of um the way that the narrative takes it so i don't know i think i think it works i don't know that it's necessarily the um the climactic ending that um basically the middle of the movie is where it you know the trinity test and whatever else like i don't know that it's it necessarily lives up to that but i i think in some ways um the denouement is uh, an hour long of being you know this very small scale political battle between oppenheimer and the rest of his life essentially so. Well, mm-hmm. they they keep comparing him to that Greek character, right? Yeah, Prometheus. Prometheus, yeah. right? So I feel like for to help me understand the film, one of the ways that I broke it down is kind of like that spirit of inspiration, creativity in the first beginning, and then the the sec the middle part is kind of that sacrifice to achieve the greatness, and then the third aspect is sort of judgment, where the 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 hammer hits hard um at the end and i think what's interesting is that although there are small moments of grace given towards these characters um and and small instances of justice against you know strauss's character um where like oppenheimer is not called a traitor to the country um there's still a, a heavy dark judgment laid upon them because they it doesn't it doesn't really paint them out to be good people or people that you know are just being abused by the system um you know the ending of the film is is heavily um imp- implying that you know nu- like nuclear weapons have changed the world for the worst right doesn't matter what your intentions are right in in any sort of way 
And I I love the 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 final circling back of like, oh well, what did what did he say to Einstein, or what was that conversation? The way that it's kind of strung throughout the entire movie. Um, yeah, I. I think that that that's all. That's also something that like kind of bugged me when we're talking about relatability with some of these characters. Is I'm like, there are no like good guys. That's why I'm like, that's not like Emily Blunt is like the only character that I'm like, I kind of understand where she's coming from. You know, the other guy is just this, you know, cold scientist who's obviously inspired and creative, and uh, you know, sure he's being used by the system, but he did create one of the worst things ever, you know. And uh, what's weird is that they he never really, you're never quite sure if he's proud or uh, regretful about it because he swings back and forth between the two, which makes his character mm-hmm. very complex. It's 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 interesting, you know. Robert Downey Jr. being that, um, you like him right off the bat, but of course, you know, he's just a evil politician all the politicians and and people around him seem to be snakes and einstein just enforces that as he talks about you're just going to get older and shake hands and and you know it's it's they're all like they're all for themselves yeah yeah it's not for you Uh, which is just you know just hitting and let's just slit our wrists you know this is everything's depressing by the end of the movie right um it was awesome (laughs) <laughs> no it's a I great ending I, I was happy that the king of the great ending was back because i have to say and i rewatched tenet i rewatched tenet with my friend kurt uh recently terrible tenet fun ending. but it's just not a it's it's not it's probably other than batman begins the only nolan ending that isn't fantastic even following as a great ending um but this was and the vision of the earth on fire and him oh yeah and also the reprisal of that music it's it's a darker version of that music that was in his head in that moment of inspiration of the can you hear the music garanson score is what you hear in the last moments of the movie and when it fades out it's this like eerie uh like echo uh, ambient sort of sound that that fades into black before the credits come up um just fantastic way to end the movie i think yeah i just i i definitely felt the ending emotionally it was very powerful i i i was just i walked out absolutely demolished just destroyed uh and the frat bros were next to me at the urinal (laughs) they were depressed everyone was depressed (laughs) i was just like yeah this is this is just great you know left and then went to go see my sister because I went to a two o'clock showing. Um, I don't know. It was, uh, I think that that sour taste in my mouth made me almost hate everyone in this movie, like just as characters. I was like, all these people are terrible people. Man, it's just bringing me back into reality. It's exactly what I, you know, it's like, did I really want to, did I, you know, did I really want to like, I I was kind of hoping for some escapism, you know, I had the glint of it at the beginning of the movie, Oh, inspiration, creativity, you know, there's something to be hopeful about. Um, Now I'm starting podcasts saying the hope and future of creativity is in TikTok. I mean, this movie's destroyed me, Cameron. And what can I do? (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I, I don't know. I think. I think in some ways that's why it is so compelling um, because it's it's about the most depressing subject ever, which is 
total, yeah, I don't know what you were uh, expecting exactly, Isaac, for a movie yeah. called Oppenheimer. But uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, it it really, it truly is, and and I think I think the thing is, it treats it with the gravity that it deserves, right? Mm-hmm. And Oppenheimer as a, a person, I I think this is for me, this is the most interesting part of the movie, the most um, serious part of the movie, uh, the the topic of and and it really does only come up in the last third um so everybody who's kind of talking about the first you know two-thirds of the movie being excellent and the last third being you know eh, whatever i really think the the thematic importance of oppenheimer being someone who was totally um invested in this project invested in you know creating the bomb against the germans invested in you know this uh you know and almost this um do or die scenario where he's saying you know they are uh 18 months ahead of us and if we do not catch up um we are going to be the subject of of the germans having the bomb first um and so you know that's that's the information that we're operating under in the first part then once after the bomb is dropped um there's something so um twisted about um his involvement and about his support and about you know basically saying um you know basically being so naive and saying yeah we well we had to do it we had to to um create this this you know uh, man-made horror otherwise and then having this total return of regret of being like i don't know if that really was the right choice i don't know if it was the the right way to go and then you know being in the end having that moment with with einstein of saying um i think we did release the nuclear catastrophe i think yeah, the did. chain reaction yeah um like there's something so powerful about that and and that's that's why I think I really do think the last third is um is very interesting in terms of a contemplative look at at he he's justifying his his former actions but in some ways he doesn't believe his justification he doesn't he doesn't actually think that uh, the best way to go is nuclear prolifer- pr- proliferation and, you know, continuing this ramp of, um, of, you know, arm arming up against the Soviets and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I, I just think, I think there's something so, uh, devastating about that look of, of him being basically accused of, um, of starting the arms race. Um, and at the same time being so, horrified by the the actual you know uh the consequences of the arms race yeah i mean i think i really think it's 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 so well um and you know there's there's such a nuance to that um discussion that that nolan is having so i i just i think it's i really think it's brilliant yeah, I was just gonna say, and then he's cast aside. Like he's he's useful to them, yeah. and they 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 make they even make kind of exceptions to him because of how useful he is. And then once he ceases to be, it's just like completely 
we, we don't we don't want any of your influence or any of your opinion to matter anymore. Like you just completely don't matter. Um, yeah, it's it's a really intelligent. Um, I think a portrayal that doesn't. Um, it trusts the audience to make the decisions about how we feel about the, what we're seeing and what we think of these characters and what we think of Oppenheimer. I think the other really great biopic that this movie can be compared to is Malcolm X, which is another sprawling three, maybe that might be three and a half hour movie that kind of also presents you with this figure who is kind of a, a little bit of a, enigma or kind of a like a litmus test for people like you can feel a lot of different ways about him at different times in his life and kind of leaves it to the audience to figure it out themselves and not not sort of um you know uh, pander or there's no sense of nolan trying to like cover himself in terms of being like i just want you to know that i have the right opinion it's 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 definitely um you're left with the contradictions of this man and the and the aspects of him that were that were dignified and that were principled and the aspects of him that were anything but um and it's yeah it is it is quite a interesting arc to have him go from him cuz i feel like that that visual of him where his he's rattled and the 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 camera he, they do this effect after hiroshima where He's and that's by the way that's what I think is the best scene in the movie is him giving that speech where all the sound mm-hmm. drops out and he hallucinates the girl whose face melts I think someone said might be Nolan's daughter I'm not sure if that's true but Nolan's daughter is mm. in that scene and um that visual comes back where he's kind of it's a little bit like that part in Fight Club where Pitt goes up to the camera and it kind of shudders mm, yeah, back and, and forth like that in yeah. fact it's shot on film it's possible you could have done it the same way. I don't know, but in any case, it's um, that visual. I think is at the beginning of the movie, and and certainly you get a sense of him being kind of um, unsure what to do with all of this kind of uh, yeah, unsettled you know emotion that's rolling with inside him. Yeah, Jesus, it's actually um, when he's talking about Gene. Um, that's that's the that's, that's the only moment also. before. I oh, think okay. that's I think that's the only moment before that it does that effect when okay, he's talking okay. about Gene, um, right. and it's to a much lesser extent. And then it happens, you know, really hardcore during that scene. Yeah, but it, yeah, it becomes this kind of this arc of it's sort of funny because it's like the arc of a successful person, like a a musical biopic. This person achieves his dream, and then it's like, and then it's the worst thing ever, and it's just such a um, a horrifying sort of thing to imagine. Um, the other scene, can I just mention my, the scene that I, I find the most moving? Cause I, we haven't mm-hmm. actually talked about it. Um, the part at the end where Emily Blunt, uh, is on the stand or is at the deposition and is like stone cold. I don't know what it is about that scene, but it's like incredibly moving to me after a movie where that's honestly, I'm not super, I'm not like getting that, you know, I'm getting more choked up in Indiana Jones and what have you than this movie. <laughs> but the that scene is is incredibly moving and and I think part of it is the score as part of it is that Garanson has this theme for M, for um for Kitty that's that's really powerful but I think it's also just the fact of her it's like you've seen everything she's been through everything she's like sacrificed being with this guy and the fact that she's still sort of not only standing by him but basically like the most resolute in the face of that 
uh, lawyer or whatever he is, uh, Jason Clark's character, um, he's the most resolute of any of them and completely just demolishes him to the point that the, one of the guys on the board actually starts agreeing with her about his the ridiculousness of his line of questioning. And I think it's just such a, a thrilling moment. Also, it's, it's that um, her performance after seeing her, she's kind of a mess throughout the movie. Like there's a lot of scenes where she's drunk. She's not taking care of her children. She's, there's a lot of her kind of, you know, flying off the hand, you know, emotionally damaged, much like, um, uh, Oppenheimer. Um, and then to see that coalesce into this like hardened, completely immovable face, there's something very moving about that to me. And I think it's just one of the great, one of the great moments in the movie, uh, for, uh, for sure. Yeah, I really like um, Jason Clark as uh, Roger Robb. He was awesome as like that prosecutor figure on the board. Yeah, um, and then yeah, I awesome, very very strong standout moment. Um, I feel like Emily Blunt is just one of those actresses that nails so many roles, like. I realized with this movie where I was like, I gotta watch Sicario again, man. Like, oh yeah, I don't know. She's 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 pretty awesome in it, and um, this movie is no exception. She absolutely did great in it. So, um, well, I do want to I w- I want to shout out literally the entire cast, which I yeah. think come. So it's funny yes. because uh, we have watched a lot of movies on this on this uh, show. And a lot of these uh, people, a lot of these actors have come up in many of the movies that we watched um, and probably give like their standout role in this movie, uh, which is just shocking. I mean, um, so, you know, I mean, people people like Robert Downey Jr., Matt Damon, I mean, I think I think are just incredible in this movie. They have a lot of screen time and. Um, they use it well, but even I think that's my favorite yeah. relation. I just want to say really quick, but the Damon yeah. relationship with Murphy, and that kind of back and forth and like feeling each other out, and neither totally. of them will give each other an inch, is kind of. And I think that's the most kind of fun part of the movie is seeing them, or when like Damon finds out uh, Oppenheimer talked to some other guy, and he's like, "You talk to him," and it's like Casey Affleck, which also is kind of funny because Damon and yeah. Casey Affleck have been in a bunch of movies together. Um, that's a great moment, and and you know, just Matt Damon is just fantastic. I I always enjoy him very much. Yeah, but other other people to shout out. I mean, I would say Macon Blair, who literally has basically been in nothing except for uh, <laughs> Blue Ruin and Green Room, and then this movie. Like it's just shocking that he shows up in this movie, uh, but he he really kills it as like the the overwhelmed lawyer. Um, Kenneth Branagh, which obviously Juzo is in love with, big fan, um, big fan. Uh, he's great as Niels Bohr. Though I would, I will say, um, Kenneth Branagh in uh, in Dunkirk is is. Oh, I thought you were gonna say he in has, Tenet. He has the better, you know, emotional resonance for me personally. But in this him movie, in, he him does in do Dunkirk great. is wonderful. I agree, though. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, Alex Wolf, who uh, plays the son in, in Hereditary, who I love. He barely does um, anything in this movie. He's he just like an extra. nothing in this movie, but is, is you know, I mean, still pretty standout. Um, yeah, Florence Pugh, who is kind of a tiny role in the grand scheme of things, but 
Uh, Very important. Though. Just kind of kills it. Um, Josh Peck, which is surprising. <laughs> Rami Malik, who oh. also comes in for like okay, one, okay, hold, one line. Wait, wait. Can we hold it for, on Josh Peck for a second? Because every time he appears on screen, I hear people around me my age laughing, and I don't. I don't, I don't, he has no association for me. What's, what's the deal with him exactly? Drake and Josh. He was in the, the uh, Disney TV show? show, Drake and Josh. No, uh, it was Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon. Yeah. Oh, okay. Huh. When yeah. he was like a kid. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was a teenager when he was on Drake and Josh. Yeah. It's, it's just, Good for it's him. just kind of funny because he's like never really done anything. And then, um, he starts the bomb. Movie. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't. Who's that guy? I don't know his name, but the guy who keeps telling everyone to to duck behind the thing, and then he sticks his head up. I love that guy. I, I I'll have to look up his name, but that guy. Yeah, you know what I'm talking know. about? Where he he keeps like I do. And, I don't. I don't remember his name. During the Trinity test, he like runs out <laughs> to go see it for himself. Yeah, yeah, that was great. Um, and then obviously Gary Oldman as uh, as Truman is just an incredible. Oh that, yeah, that scene I think is that is was so a great funny. Scene. Yeah, probably the biggest laugh that I had in the movie through the whole time. But what just that, that I mean, it's up? not a very funny movie. Uh, but the, I mean, just the whole thing of of uh, Gary Oldman as Truman is just hilarious. And then his his final lines is <laughs> yes, <laughs> as uh, often that leaving. cry baby again. Yeah, <laughs> it's just yeah, it's just super funny. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean. Josh Hartnett Literally. was really good as Ernest Lawrence. He was, he was, yeah. I feel like haven't seen him in a while. He was great. And I will say, um, you know, you, you mentioned Casey Affleck earlier who, Oh um, yeah. Great. He was, he was kind of canceled. I feel like a couple of years ago, but, um, yeah. he, uh, he absolutely is so scary in this movie. He is literally yeah. the most terrifying person in the movie. Um, and he, he just kills it. He, I think he's so good. Um, yeah, the only, Absolutely. I think the only other movie that I've seen, this probably is not true, but, um, the other big movie I've seen him in is Manchester by the Sea. Um, and he's great in that is an incredible movie. Yeah. I, I'll also mention, um, um, what was I going to say? Oh, James, James Ramar in that scene where they're deciding what city they're going to bomb. That was the part I was talking about where it's like these right. powerful people and his decision to, that's surprisingly one of the parts that gets the biggest reaction in the two times I've seen it when he decides yeah. to cross off Kyoto. Cause he likes to honeymoon there. You just hear everyone go like, oh. no, I mean, it's, it, it's interesting. Cause, um, I didn't know that this was like a n not well-known fact about, uh, the bombing of Hiroshima, but, um, yeah, Kyoto was like the main target, and it was crossed off because um, he for that reason he and his wife uh, honeymooned there, and he he loved the city. So, and it was it it is kind of this interesting footnote in uh, in history, but uh, but it's yeah, it's true. I mean, city planners make sure you uh, you know appease the international tourists. You never know how it might pay you back. It's true, yeah. <laughs> Gee, that's dark. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I. It's not that I don't dislike the the dark ending and whatnot. I think it's, I think it's good. I, I, I still felt. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's that's a wider conversation. Um, 
basking in depression is uh it's it's got a, it's got its time and place um and uh this movie definitely will get you there and I'll just leave it at that. So Yeah, I'm not saying I'm like <laughs> advocating like it, we should all bask in depression. I just, you know, if it's about a movie about Robert Oppenheimer, I just think it's kind of inevitable. Oh, by the way, we didn't mention Tom Conti as Einstein. He was wonderful. Yeah, he yeah, was I great. loved him. He's I great. loved him. He was the he was so. um Batman's uh, prison buddy in The Dark Knight Rises who Helps him uh, fix his back so he can climb yes. out of the thing. The most awesome scene ever put on film. <laughs> that's the movie I gotta watch. It's so oh, funny. Yeah, that's if you, you want to pick that. Actually, not only is it a a pick me up, but I think I genuinely think what's profound about Dark Knight Rises is it is a movie about like beating depression because it's like he's so depressed at the beginning of that movie and he has to literally climb himself out of it. It's just and, wonderful. And there's a nuke explosion that results in hope. Right, yeah, so. you know, you you got it all. Yeah, unironically, it's, a better movie. I'm not even like joking. It's a better movie than Oppenheimer. Sorry. Oh my gosh. Ah oh, man. I I, I think I think my biggest criticism with this is that if you're gonna do kind of a slow paced character drama thing, like a movie like The Social Network, does it better. Even a movie like Twelve Angry Men, there's something about it where it takes it. it it slowly approaches uh, the characters in the way that they unfold. This movie feels so quick, almost to its own detriment, and it includes so many different characters that it's like, I wanted more intimacy, um, but it was almost too big of a movie to allow that. Uh, yeah. it, it should. I don't know if it should have been a series, but it's just... It's just a lot. It's a lot to take in. And it's the sort of thing where I think on rewatch, I'll probably enjoy it more because I'll get more of the details. Even just on the second rewatch, I was getting more the different character dynamics. But I think it's, it just isn't. 12 Angry Men is a great example of that where, and I, I definitely think Nolan also is a big Lumet fan and, and Lumet in, in, uh, informs aspects of this movie. Um that movie is intense, but there are parts where they dial things back down, and there's you know, this there's not a lot of like people just hanging out in this movie, you know, and it's it seems like kind of a silly thing to say, but that is a part of what kind of you know like Darkest Hour. It's it's the historical huge aspects that are going on, but it's also Churchill like sitting and having a drink with his secretary and kind of just like reflecting on things. And I think the same is is true of same is true of Lumet's movies, and the same is true of of I think the uh, Christopher Nolan's best movies. Um, but it's just it feels like there's a lot of it's a lot of plot, it's a lot of information he's he's cramming in here, and I think it hinders it, despite the fact that it's so beautifully made. And I can't fault many things in the movie. Um, so I yeah, I feel well, I feel I will weird about this one, but yeah. I will say, um, I th- you said that you know in in Nolan's some of Nolan's best films, you know, there's moments of of uh, you know quiet times. I don't know that that's necessarily true. I would say Nolan is pretty, um, he's pretty like full, you know, steam train ahead in most of his movies, and I would say this this continues that train. I I don't know. Like when I think of Nolan's best sequences, 
even his best films. I don't know if I ever think of one that has like a, you know, a quiet moment of people just, you know, taking in, a, you know, a moment no, together. I don't know. I, I don't okay. really I'll, think. I'll, sorry. I'll amend that part because I, that's, I mean, it's true. It's not, it's not like, um, you know, uh, Duplass brothers, like, you know, uh, <laughs> Christian Bale sits down in a bathtub with his, with Alfred and like has a heart to heart. But I think it's <laughs> like, it's, it's more, yeah, because Dunkirk is not character. You don't know anything about those characters. So that's, that's a fair right, point. Exactly. But I, th- yeah. I think what it's different about a movie like Dunkirk is it's not important that you do. Everything is so simple of what needs to happen. It's, each each character is just like we need to get from here to here. That's how that's all it is. So it's it's sort of acceptable that it there's a there's a kind of a not much focus on character because it's just it's just very ex- ex- experiential. Um, but, but in even this a movie, movie like Inception, fo- you know, there there all of the moments where they're talking about Cobb, they're talking about his his sort of past. Um, it's a revelatory experience about the. Uh, the the dream space and there's like something there's something tied in about about those moments you know there's not there's not really a moment about like Cobb as a person like what he likes to do and like there's like these small moments I I just you know for me like it's not it that's not the kind of filmmaker that that Nolan is and maybe this movie needed to be that and that's why I asked at the beginning like does Nolan work in this sort of style of film he could have done it. All right, he did it in The Dark Knight Rises. You know, you hang out in the pit for hours. It feels like you're there for years. You know, hang you're out just hanging Einstein. out. Your back is broken. You know, like I, I feel like he. There, the, you can say like he's breakneck. Yeah, we've seen Inception. It doesn't stop. Um, but what I've found is that Inception, and also one of the movies that had I've I cannot stop thinking about after we watched it, The Prestige is that they climax in such this dramatic way towards the end, and it sort of leaves you with this open-ended question with Inception being a reflection on, you know, like reality, right? Just to put it broadly. And then I think the prestige kind of struggling with that sacrifice for greatness, right? And leaving the audience with like this pondering like, huh, uh, you know? And I think that this movie does leave the audience pondering but it's more of a meditation on a very depressing state of reality which i don't i didn't really expect from from um nolan movies i like how he usually ends with much more of a question whereas this movie um i think the worst part about it is that he um has a dark and (laughs) gloomy perspective of the, of the world now and the worst part about that is that it's so easy to relate with it you know <laughs> so mm-hmm. i was like dang like i don't know i was like oh well you know i i i guess you know me and christopher nolan would would get along if we hung out or something <laughs> but i don't know i i usually like i prefer the nolan that's like I got this question, you know, if you had a, a doppelganger clone of yourself, you know, instead of him just being head on the counter, it's all, the world is going to blow up. We're all doomed, you know, like <laughs> well, which yeah, one would I rather hang out with, you know? You no, know, it's true. He's a, he's generally a pretty hopeful filmmaker. And even in his movies where it's like 
like the Dark Knight ending with a lie or whatever, it still feels like there's a sense of triumph. He's riding off into the night. It, it, it's a little bit. This is by far that movie the most is pretty depressing. Feeling. It's depressing. The Dark Knight ends depressingly. <laughs> it is, but it's I don't know. It it feels also like triumphant in some way. I don't I don't know how to describe it. But when that movie ends, it's not the same feeling I have at the end of this. I think the closest maybe sure. is the Prestige because the Prestige and this are both about people who strive for some ideal of greatness and they destroy themselves while doing it. Um, it's yeah. just this is more depressing because it's real life and it's not just two strange magicians who are pranking each other um (laughs) so which is delightful um yeah i i do think that this film is very reflective of the the current state of the the i don't know just the way people are feeling in the united states i feel like it's um it's going to be a historical uh piece because not just because of how it's reflecting on past american history um but the feelings of these characters, I, I, I don't want to get too political, but I do feel like the states, they can, I feel like the entire United States feels like they can watch this movie and um, there's something sadly relatable in its final moments for for the country at the, at this time. At least that's kind of how I took it. And I was like, dang, like in a weird way, it's uniting, right? I guess that's the positive spin, you know? But everybody at the urinals afterwards was just like, oh, you know, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, was like, I was like, yep, yep, it's just going to be one of those, right? One of those movies, but I don't know yeah, exactly I mean, where to take it from there. But you guys are in the same mindset now. You're like, it's tr- oh, man. <laughs> no, it's an, it's an, it is an interesting question. I mean, I know you, you just meant like where we're taking the podcast, but like where does Nolan go from here is a really interesting sort of question. Like, is he going to I mean, this is feels like it's garnered the most acclaim his movies have ever. Because even though Inception is like a canonical classic now, it was not, it was well received, but I wouldn't say overwhelmingly the way this movie. And honestly, part of my just kind of, you know, uh, be, being sounding a little ambiguous or sounding just a little bit disappointed about how I feel is it's more my own disappointment just given how Cameron and my dad and Mick and Paul Schrader, like so many people have said, this is his magnum opus. This is Nolan's ninth symphony, his greatest work so far. He's finally going to get recognized, which by the way, I would love even if this is kind of a, I wouldn't call it a departed situation because it's not as stupid as the departed, but <laughs> as in terms of one of our greatest artists being awarded for a work that's not my favorite of what, of what they've made, um, I could definitely see that happening. And I think, and I think there's even an argument for it, just given the um, the scale and the profundity of just the the craft of the production itself let alone well i uh, hold putting on. aside it before you success <laughs> before yeah. you continue i will say i did not say that this is christopher nolan's magnus magnus magnum opus okay? yeah no you i still think that. i still think the prestige is uh you know his greatest movie of all time so, I, I might uh, be on that know. train now his uh, pre- the I'm, prestige I'm, not the dark Knight. yeah no i know this last really? viewing i, I was just it's I shocking was floored. i was yeah. floored wow, I don't by agree with that at all but 
Okay. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it's uh, those two are obviously um, neck and neck for me. I for, personally, I mean, I I've always said that the Prestige was maybe my one of my favorites of Nolan's, and I I think after <laughs> after this viewing, I mean, genuinely, I think I think it's some of his his most insane and um revelatory work that he's ever wait, done wait, so, wait, wait. I, so cameron yeah. wait i didn't i didn't actually pick that up on our review like it hit the best for you this last viewing too um yeah i don't think i said that but i think thinking about it after i mean it's it's really stuck in my mind yeah more yeah. more so i mean it's always been it's always been there for me like as I like I said, it's this is the Prestige is like one of my very very early movies of being like falling in love with movies. Um, so it's hard it's hard for me to say that Jeez. like it's it's topped that. Um, but uh, truly, I mean this this time has like st- it's just stuck it in my in my brain. I I genuinely think, <laughs> and uh, that's why I've always argued with you, Juzo. Juzo used to hate. The Prestige. No, and, I mean, I did. No, I, I mean, I watched it. I watched it in a car. I didn't understand it, but I just don't. I, I think it's, I hated it's it. Very good. You did? I hated it the first time I watched it. Yeah. No, it's it's way ahead of its time. It's like Casablanca. You know, like this that movie is gonna be <laughs> agreed. Just like just. I, I I wish I was I could not believe how good it was when I rewatched it. And I'm sorry that if I'm overhyping it, you can go watch it. Oh, I don't get it. Dumb magicians well go watch it and then listen to our review because i i was really taken back by it so i just no, can't no, believe I t- the I inception totally slander totally that's agree. going on right now which is clearly <laughs> his best movie but it's, it, no I it's like funny inception. because i love it it's it's funny because inception has always been the one that i've thought was uh not not overhyped but but one that i just never i it wasn't the like the first to come to my mind uh, when I well, it's because the Dark Knight no Rises is better. That's why. So no, it's. I mean, it's because <laughs> the Dark Knight and then the it, it literally is the Dark Knight and the Prestige in my mind. Like oh. I'm not even. I'm not even joking. So it's 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 interesting because I know that's totally not. <laughs> that's not the canonical uh, way to think about Nolan's movies, but um, that's that's my, that's that's what I think. Uh, I think I think the Prestige is like. <laughs> I wonder if it's people who I don't mean, for really. Me, Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was gonna say for me, it's like one of one of my favorite movies of all time. So, <laughs> what, what I was gonna say is, I I wonder if the people who are saying Oppenheimer, yeah, I'm not saying you or my dad think this, but the people who are saying it's like his best movie, it's more people who are not. In fact, Schrader, when he said that, he specific specifically said, "I'm not really a Nolan fan. Like, I have not really liked his movies, but this is the mm. great film of the tw- of the 21st century." Um, so I, I kind of wonder if it's like he's kind of, because he is kind of um, uh, ridding himself of some of the ticks or, you know, the aspects that annoy people with, you know, uh, his other movies in terms of like, I don't know, like what, too much exposition or like it, it being some sort of wacky high concept. It's a very straightforward movie other than just the the time structure of it. The story itself is very straightforward. Almost honestly, it's probably the reason... I enjoyed it less than his other eleven movies. It's just I'm, I'm more in it for the, the fun, wacky Nolan experience than him just making, you know, what kind of amounts to a, I don't know, like a Spielberg movie or like a Spielberg, you know, portentous kind of drama or or you know many of which I like by the way. So I mean that's not an insult. 
Um, but there's just something about, I don't know, even something like Schindler's List, honestly, that's more uh, compelling to watch than this movie. I'd like something about it just works better, even though both are not, neither of the movies you describe as fun. Um, but in any case, I don't know. I'm going to see it again. I'm just going to keep watching this movie until it, I give it five stars. <laughs> Maybe it'll take 20 viewings, but. Well, didn't you say that was the case with uh, with West Side Story? It, it was like your West third Story, viewing. Very interesting. Yeah, I, I, I was mixed on it the first time. I liked it the second time. And then I was like, wait, this is actually pretty great. The third time. Maybe even the fourth time I, I said I loved it. But <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I didn't have a big like raise in my opinion when I watched it uh, the second time with Oppenheimer, which is different than with... Irishman or with Asteroid City or West Side Story. Mm. So I just, I'm not hopeful. It might kind of ascend to like the prestige level where it's like, actually, I, I like this a lot. The prestige is just like so much, such a fun movie. I have a hard time imagining it would even be on that level. Um, but it's, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to discount how brilliant some of those. I was really kind of blown away by that whole part with Casey Affleck this time around, like him and Damon, like Damon being like, you talk to who yeah. and like that whole, the way that kind of comes together. And also the revelation of how Damon kind of protected him. Um, there's, there's parts that I might kind of warm to a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I'm, you know, I will just, say I'm always, I'm always sad when I'm not, it's like, I, I, I want it to be the five star masterpiece that everyone else is seeing when it, when it's my guy, you know, but Whatever. No, I, well, I, w- I will say, like, um, with that with that Casey Affleck scene um, and with so many of these scenes, like, uh, the structure of how he's put it together is really so, um, like, so breakneck and so um, engaging for me. I, I, I know you guys thought it was maybe too fast, but I genuinely thought it was... Um, I I really think it was purposefully uh, engaging in that way, um, because otherwise people would get really bored at <laughs> at places, um, and I think a lot of people probably did get bored at at certain places. I, I think, there's definitely I think, people who were seeing Barbie who came into this movie, like people who are doing the double feature, who I could just tell, yeah. were like, oh my god, I can't believe I'm sitting through this three hour, you know, snooze fest, yeah. Um, but but for a three hour movie, I mean, I don't, I it didn't feel long at all for me, um, which is impressive. I mean, I don't. It was not the Dark Knight Rises the last... experience of a th- th- almost three hour movie that feels like ninety minutes. It was I I would not describe it as that. Um, but but it's not it's not boring. I'm not I, saying that. I would. Yeah. All right. Fair well. enough. Well. Any other thoughts, closing conclusions on Nolan? I, I don't want to say Nolan month's done. I really feel like we got to give uh, Dark Knight Rises another chance so I can destroy my nostalgia for the film. Well, should we that. just do the Dark Knight trilogy? I mean, oh gosh. <laughs> well, yes, wait, actually, yes. special, it's probably a special announcement, Cameron. Probably not going to have an episode next Monday, right? Uh... Well, me and yeah, Isaac. Yeah, yeah, probably not. Yeah, <laughs> let's, probably let's, not. Let's make sure that we don't do an episode <laughs> next Monday. Yeah. That, Cameron that has a very special evening coming up um, with his fiance. So we're going to be taking a week off after powering through. And with you of, guys. I mean, 
Yeah, yeah. You'll be there. I will be there. Indeed. Um, yeah, no, I mean, we're looking forward to the party for sure. Um, but just so you guys know, we don't, we will not have an episode next Tuesday. Um, so if you're looking for it, just know it won't be there uh, as we take a little break after reviewing this. But I want to, I want to open the, I feel like we've covered almost everything that we wanted to say. Um, maybe we can go on to recommendations for the film. Uh, who do you think this film is for? And then oh. any final thoughts? Here's my recommendation. If you're ready for a talking movie about history and stuff, I mean, you know, I, I feel like you can pretty easily understand what you're getting into. I really don't recommend this movie for a lot of people. My dad was like, so how was it? Like, should I go see it? I was like, I don't think you're going to like it. Like, I was honestly like, it's really, it's going to make you a grump. I, I really think you would be a grumpier person after uh, watching that movie. Maybe, in, but in a lot of a, ways. It, it also kind of feels like a boomer movie. Like, it feels like the sort of thing that like mm. an older person would, you know, like the I, history and I, I don't know. Maybe. I, I, I don't know your dad, so who maybe, but. I, to me, it's not a movie for everyone, of course, but in some ways, I really think everyone should see it. Not only because, given how much so many people love it, there's a chance you're going to like it a lot more than Isaac and me do, but I also just think the opportunity to see something like this in a theater, yeah. um, this kind of movie is so rare. To see a, a blockbuster that's a three-hour epic of just people in rooms talking mostly and then you know a few huge spectacle scenes it's a really kind of a, a rare thing these days and to see a filmmaker like this mounting a, a production of the scale even if the movie sucked i'd almost say uh you should see it and it doesn't suck and it is i think in some ways quite like that's part of why i just want to see it again is just to see it especially if you can see it in on film you know 70 millimeter the, the print looks gorgeous um sounds incredible in the theater i think it's i think it's just worth seeing for that reason and also just seeing and you know make it make of it what you will argue about it with your your you know friend your friends and family it's not the typical sort of movie that evaporates you know as you you know go out for dinner afterwards it's it's definitely something mm. that that sticks with you and i think that's that's a good thing so whether or not i'm a little agnostic about parts of it it's um it's it's something quite special. I you know, yeah. I I think uh, it's worth supporting just for not just supporting, but it's worth going and experiencing for for that um, for that reason. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. I think um, I think also just being a spectacle movie, being on on film, being you know this sort of special uh, release in some ways. Uh, I think it's worth going to see it. And I think the turnout of the movie has has proved in some ways that a lot of people want to see a movie like this. So, um, you know, I mean, I think it's fair to um it's fair to give it a chance and and you know, I think I think you're right in that a lot of people uh probably it, it it probably appeals to like an older crowd, but in some ways that's why the marketing is so genius because it's, uh, you know, appeal, you know, it's marketing towards the younger crowd of, you know, getting to the theater in the, the Barbenheimer situation. So like, I, I kind of, I kind of love the, uh, the dual angle there. Um, and you know, I mean, look, not everybody's going to care about seeing it in IMAX, but, I was just reading that 
47% of the tickets were in large format, um, which is actually like insane. I mean, that's crazy to think that half of the people who are watching this movie are watching it at the premium you know, level, uh, watching it at in IMAX or watching it in, you know, 70 millimeter. So I'm, I'm shocked that that's the case, but, um, mm. since it is, I mean, that, that tells me that, you know, if there's a demand there, people are, people are willing to meet it. So, and not to be um, a shill, but like yeah. we saw in the premium format for only $7 and 50 cents, that's about the best experience yeah. you could get. I mean, that was, that's wonderful. So. Yeah, exactly. God bless the Grand so, Lake. <laughs> I gotta see. I gotta see Dune in big format. I want to see that. Big yeah, that that might mil. be another one that like people will roll out to 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 see the the giant IMAX. You know, to see it in you know this huge situation. I remember in twenty twenty one was it or twenty twenty when Dune 21. came out. Well, mm-hmm. Twenty one. You know, that was like the first one of the first movies back. Obviously, Tenant notwithstanding, but um, one of the first movies back that people were like, "Yeah, I have to see this in theaters," you know. And then it came out on HBO like a month later. But um, no, the same you know, day. Remember, like, they did that whole nonsense where they. Oh, you're right. You're that right. was dumb. But but I think I think still I think still like people went out to to see it in the theaters. At least that's that's what I remember no, that, from the time. It's a testament Maybe to that's how not people. True people wanted the experience is it is it was a success and it's like even though they had it at their fingertips at home they wanted to go and get the full get the full experience as well they should so yeah no that's gonna be awesome unless it gets pushed back to next year which would suck but that's very possible and thinking about oh yeah no true uh but but thinking about like how most people watch movies it's like either on their phones on their laptops on their tv that has like terrible sound um i don't know i kind of feel like people deserve to see movies in a big bombastic theater sometimes you know and maverick Mm. showed that too so yeah um you know this is one to, to see i mean it's just a spectacle so yeah it's been a whole summer of really cool like movies of big scale and vision to see in theaters oddly this might be my I might have liked this less than the other than Asteroid City, Indiana Jones, and uh, Mission Impossible, but um, they've all been really fun to see in 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 this sort of the big theatrical experience because they're just beautifully made um, movies and uh, would recommend all of them. Yeah, very well, very good. All right, guys. Well, there's a lot of movies to see in the theater. And you heard it from the experts. You should at least go see one of them. Um, True. And we do recommend uh, seeing this on large format. I would say it's definitely worth it. I mean, the score and the visuals, that was my—that was probably my favorite thing that I walked out of. I was like, I might be depressed, but at least I was inspired at moments. So mm. um, that, that's, that's kind of my, my recommendation, especially if you're attuned to some of the editing and the, the colors and, and the creativity behind it. Like, yeah. Definitely go check it out. Someone like my dad, he didn't. I don't think he would really care that much. <laughs> like, <laughs> although, although he is like, we're seeing Dune Part Two opening weekend because I took him to the big format when we uh, for Dune, but I just knew that was going to be his thing. So, mm. um, yeah, go go out and 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 see some movies. Pretend that we're still in the in the twentieth uh, century, and uh, have a great summer night. You know. Uh, yeah. We will not be back next Tuesday, as I mentioned. 
So you'll have extra time to catch up on some stuff. But we'll be back uh, two weeks from now and ready to talk about more Nolan stuff. Maybe we'll put Maybe. it on pause. We'll let you know. Why we not? will let you know. I'd Until be down then, to do the the, uh, the uh, Dark Knight trilogy. I think that would be fun. That would be pretty fun. Um, yeah. Got to see the Raza Ghoul stuff again. Yeah. It's been God, a long time. Yeah. I haven't watched time. them in, in a long time. It's been a really long time. So. All right. Yeah. Well, with that, uh, we love you guys. Thanks for listening. And we will catch you on a following Tuesday. Cinema Spectator is an ECFS Productions podcast that is fully funded on Patreon.com. Shout out to our producers, Darren O'Neill, for supporting the show and to the rest of you that support us at Patreon.com slash ECFS Productions. If you want to learn more about the benefits you can get, check out our Patreon. The show cannot happen without you great listeners, so we thank you for all your kindness and support.